Section 8 of An American Vendetta. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An American Vendetta, a story of barbarism in the United States, by T.C. Crawford. Chapter 4, Part 2. Ants Hatfield at Home. Before he could call out to us, Mr. Lloyd discovered Ants Hatfield in the field to the left. He called out to him and saved all questions from this century. Ants Hatfield came right over the field to us. He received us with boisterous hospitality. It was deeply interesting to witness the ardor and enthusiasm of the man receiving friends whom he knew didn't want him. Ants Hatfield is said by those who knew Stonewall Jackson to bear a marked resemblance to this noted Confederate general. He has a powerful frame, and is broad-shouldered and deep-chested, but with that curve to his shoulders that goes with all the mountain types that I have seen in this neighborhood. He wore a brown coat, blue shirt, and blue jean trousers tucked into high boots. He had a Colt's revolver in the holster, under his coat, and he carried a Winchester rifle in his right hand. This man is always spoken of in this neighborhood as industrious, and though awkward in look, he is intelligent and well-informed. Ants, although a man of fifty years of age, has not a gray line in the brown of his thick hair, mustache, and beard. He has a pair of gray eyes set under the deepest of bushy eyebrows. His nose is such an enormous hook as to suggest the lines of a Turkish scimitar. He wore a black hat, faded by long exposure to the weather, pulled down over a deeply lined forehead. He piloted us to his house and showed us in with marked courtesy and ease. As we entered the house I noticed, beyond, two or three able-bodied men, armed with Winchester rifles, patrolling. His Primitive Dwelling As I entered the house, which is a log hut of only two rooms, I was shown to a seat in front of the great fireplace in which wood embers were smoldering. In this room there were four beds. On the beds were a formidable array of Winchesters. It looked like a small armory. In the black background there was a recumbent figure on the bed. As we entered, this figure sprang up to the floor, reached over in a moment, and, grasping a holster, began buckling it on with great rapidity. He was then heard to say with a slow drawl, Well, John B. Floyd, you kinder catched me off guard for once, didn't you? This was the notorious Cap Hatfield, the notorious son of Ants, a man who was charged with having the most vicious temper, the most cruel propensities in the whole Hatfield tribe. Cap Hatfield is directly charged by the community with having committed several murders. He is known to be quarrelsome and vindictive, and is believed to be capable of one of the common crimes of this community, of ambushing, meaning shooting a man from the bush. After the house burning, he absconded and went west. He also went to Texas, but he returned, not being able to remain away from the paradise of this mountain region, there being a popular prejudice concerning enemies of the law in the regions visited by him, which gave him a real homesick turn. The Outlaw's Family John's Hatfield, his brother, is away, and no one knows where he is. At the time of my talk, Ants Hatfield took the seat to the left of the fire, Cap Hatfield taking the seat to the right, and then the children swarmed in from all directions. There was a little toddler of two, a girl of four, and a young hero of six. He wore a long pair of gray trousers over his bare feet, and the upper part of his figure was covered by a ragged blue shirt. 
This youngster sat and listened to the tales of war told by his father, and eyed the rows of Winchesters lying in the background with the hungry look, as if he were eager for the time when he would grow up to become a useful member of the Society for the Extermination of People, obnoxious to the Hatfield interests. Cat Hatfield deserves a more detailed picture. I do not think that I ever saw a more hideously repulsive face in all my life on any human being. An Entertaining Cutthroat Ant Hatfield is a jovial old pirate. You can sit and talk with him, and perhaps enjoy for a time his conversation. He is bright and ready, with a good store of information. As a hunter, he is the most skillful horseman in this region. Cap Hatfield is simply a bad young man, without a single redeeming point. He has a slight frame, surmounted by a round, ball head. His hair is dark, long, and is calmed down in a wavy line directly crossing his forehead and over his eyes. His right eye is a watery blue. His other has been disfigured by the explosion of a percussion cap, so that it gives him the appearance of being wall-eyed. His nose is a thick pug. His face is round, partially covered with an unkempt and stubby beard. A slight mustache conceals his coarse mouth. The whole expression of his face is very heavy. His chin constantly drops upon his breast and he stares off into vacancy like a person disposed to melancholia. During my inquiries concerning the crimes alleged to have been committed by the Hatfield crowd, he had a way of shirking questions that came close home. When I talked with him, he spoke in a dialect which I will not attempt to reproduce. Pretending Ignorance of the Murders Ants Hatfield told the story of the murders, and charged them all upon murderous people of whom he knew nothing. He was not present at the murder of the three McCoys, and had not the slightest idea of who was responsible for the burning of the McCoy house. He said, very frankly, no man who were thar would tell anyone if he was. And so the matter dropped. Cat Patfield kept interfering and giving his version. He was always ready to find names of people whom he believed were guilty, but they were names very remote from the Hatfield family. I asked the old gentleman a question, however, which brought out, in my judgment, very clearly whether he was responsible or not for the killing of the three McCoys who murdered Ellison Hatfield. I said, Mr. Hatfield, I want to ask you about your ideas about killing. There is no one in this community who has ever charged you with having killed anyone for the pleasure of it? No, he didn't believe they had. He wasn't that sort of a man. But, said I, if they were to kill any member of your family in a fair fight, what would you do? Well, I reckon, he said, I should get away with them just about as soon as I could. That is your idea, then? Yes, sir. Any man that wants to try it, he'll find it out. Now, what would you do if any detective came here and tried to take you? Well, now, I don't propose to be bothered any more. I have been out hiding in the brush. I have been kept away from my wife and babbies many and many a time. I do not like to be kept away from my babbies. Never means to be caught. This was said with a real sympathetic feeling. This is a characteristic of Vance Hatfield. The babbies were very much to him. They swarmed about him as he talked. I want this row settled, said he. It has gone on long enough. I intend to stay at my house, where I am, for the present. If the governor sends a proper requisition here for me in proper form, why, I wouldn't kill the man who brought it out. What would you do? Would you surrender? No, indeed, I wouldn't. I might possibly go out into the woods. I have been out there many a time, and I reckon nobody can catch me in these mountains. I simply will not be taken. 
How many men have you constantly on guard? Nine men. Dining with the Hatfields. The conversation was over a great deal of small gossip and neighborhood talk, and then we were invited out to dinner. We sat down to dinner in a little room at the back part of the house. Mrs. Hatfield, a stern-faced little woman with black eyes and black hair, stood up by the fire and beamed open hospitality upon the guests, handing from time to time various hot things that she brewed over the blaze. There were the regular corn pone, fried pork, snow-white butter, sweet potatoes, sliced tomatoes, and the hard beans of the mountains. It was a dinner for a hearty and extremely hungry man, but not much attempt of fastidious appetite. It was served with such hospitality that one was forced to eat heartily, as the host from time to time showed burning anxiety to see his guests take cold and eat something. After dinner, Ants insisted on our staying all night with him. Where he would have placed us was a mystery. There were twelve members of his family with him, and there were three grown-up young women and the nine guards, all of whom were to be placed in two small rooms. We escaped from this and walked down to the bank of the stream, where we had been invited to wash just before dinner. There various feats of marksmanship were exhibited. French Ellis here, for the first time, opened his mouth. His Highest Attribute Somebody spoke of a certain local light in shooting circles, and French Ellis exclaimed, with wild enthusiasm, Oh, he is a killer! Ants on our way back led us to the fort, which was down on the creek a quarter of a mile from the house. It is built solidly of logs, with openings cut through them for guns. The door is a heavy piece of oak six inches in thickness. This is the place, Ants says, that he has built for the time when he will be compelled to take refuge with the women and children and hold out in this fortress. It is beautifully situated for a fight. Everything about the place is conducted on military principles. The men under him actually act as if they were engaged in real war. Cat Patfield, in speaking of the situation, said, If this thing can only be settled, why, we would be willing to lay down our accoutrements and munitions of war. This is as military a declaration as Napoleon could have used. Yet this Hatfield crowd are not happy. They dare not sleep at night except in guarded places. They have sentries constantly out on guard. They dare not go around to the corner of the house to get a drink of water without a Winchester in hand. Suspicious of Everybody All during my talk with Cap Hatfield I noticed one or two of the guards going out, prowling around with their revolvers. As much as they thought of John B. Floyd, if any suspicious stranger had appeared I am certain that they would have made it of interest for their visitor. End of section 8